0: Hello, and welcome to Book Chatter, the monthly book club podcast presented by the Longmont Public Library. I'm Barb, your host for this episode, and with me are Denise. Hi. And Jana. Hello. To discuss our latest pick, 50 Pies, 50 States, An Immigrant's Love Letter to the United States Through Pi, by Stacy may Yun Fong. And folks, you can relax, there's no spoiler alert this time. It's just us gushing about pie and this wonderful cookbook. But before we dive into 50 Pies, 50 States, I think it'd be great to share what we're all reading at the moment, or hoping to dig into soon. And just for fun, since we're talking about food, share some food-themed books or films that we've enjoyed in the past. And I'll jump in first. Um, On my uh, current reading list is... uh, Number one book in a series, uh, the Chief Inspector Gamache series by Louise Penny, and the book is called Still Life. I tried diving in in the middle of the series and it just wasn't working for me. I realized I am missing some backstory about Inspector Gamache. So I'm going back to the beginning with Still Life and pick it up from there. Uh, One on my radar is coming out, I believe in December, called The Comfort of Crows by Margaret Renkel. And uh, it was described as a... uh, 52-entry, uh, almost like a devotional, if, you, if you've ever heard of those, uh, something to read and contemplate uh, through the year. She keeps a diary through a year of what's going on outside in her yard, hence the uh, reference to the crows. Uh, now digging way back for books about food that I've read and loved, my favorite is probably one of the first books I ever read by myself. It was called Stone Soup by Marsha Brown. <gasps> Yeah. Uh, I, I have a special place in my heart for that book because it talks about um, it talks about uh, encouraging generosity in people, and uh, it's a kids' book. Yeah, I love that book too. It's, a it's so good.
1: I remember acting it out in class. <laughs> did yeah, you like
0: first grade? Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Oh, cool. And uh, the second that came to mind is one I actually did a book bite on a couple of years back: uh, "The Cooking Gene" by Michael. W. Twitty. And uh, it, it is, uh, it's an amazing book. It's uh, described in the uh, publisher's blurb as a journey through African-American culinary history in the Old South. And in this book, Twitty traces the path of his ancestors, black and white, through the crucible of slavery to show slavery's effects on our food today. It is a fascinating read. I encourage you to read it. It's uh, The Cooking Gene by Michael Twitty. Couldn't uh, turn down the chance to talk about some films since uh, part of my gig in the library is choosing films for the library. So what jumped to mind was uh, Jiro Dreams of Sushi. It's a documentary from 2011 Mm. directed by David Gelb and uh, focuses on an 85-year-old, I would say perfectionist uh, sushi chef, and his sons are in his employ. They have a tiny, tiny 10-seat sushi restaurant in uh, Tokyo. And it is the first sushi restaurant that ever got three stars from Michelin. So it's an amazing place and a, a just uh, an amazing story. And finally, Sideways, uh, 2004 mm. comedy road trip film based on Rex Pickett's novel of the same name. This was a breakout of film, I think, for uh, Paul Giamatti and also Susan. Is it Susan? Oh, I can't remember. Yeah, I think yeah. So. that's right. Yeah. Anyway, yeah. Quite a breakout film for them. It's uh, quite the story. And it actually uh, spiked sales of Pinot Noir (laughs) in the U.S. and elsewhere. It's really quite an influential film. Denise, how about you? So as far as reading now or about to or whatever,
1: I have one that's called Transformational Dog Training. Mm -hmm. Um, Actually, a patron came in. I was like, can you get this book? And it's one of those every now and then I'm sure we've all had that experience at the desk where a patron says, I want to get this book. And you start looking it up and you're like, oh, oh you yeah. know, I must also have this. Mm-hmm. And so I did. Uh, haven't cracked it open yet, but that's one of my, one of my things, uh, dog behavior training, especially as it relates to um, 4-H and helping kids mm. and helping yeah. others with their dogs, but also doing it in a way from their perspective. Like mm-hmm. how does the dog think? Not how do I think? What do they need? Not what do I need? How is it a partnership? So I'm looking forward to doing that. And the one that came to mind as far as cooking was A Square Meal. Mm-hmm. And that one, it's it's called A Square Meal, A Culinary History of the Great Depression. And that's kind of one of another time period that I'm very interested in. Yeah. So um, it's by Jane Ziegelman, And it It illustrates, it just goes through a lot of different layers of the depression as it relates to food, whether it was uh, help from the Red Cross or lack thereof for a very Mm -hmm. long time, Um, government going back and forth between wanting to help and not wanting to help and why not wanting to like enable people to be lazy, certain perceptions, Mm -hmm. the creativity that had to come from limited ingredients and from also having some drought, whether it was the Dust Bowl things like that um, lack of money just how the whole thing tied in mm-hmm. in some of the uh, cookbooks and government recommendations they actually hired people who would take like okay here's here's what's being rationed and here's what's available and how oh. do you make a pie with no butter and no apples and there's actually one that i found in another book called baking yesteryear and it's by b dylan hollis he's oh, yeah. a yeah he's a, uh, he's on youtube and tiktok and he loves old cookbooks, and so he actually did one. I remember that was, I believe, saltine crackers, and there was a way to make it to taste like an apple pie. Yes. And he's very honest about this was this is bad, um, <laughs> or this is really good. And he was like impressed with how it did taste mm-hmm. like an apple pie. Mm-hmm. So th- ways that they could not just not just subsist, but maybe have something a little more interesting from time yeah. to time, kind of address a little bit of a mental health piece during the depression. Right. So it's really great because it had a lot of different perspectives, and I wouldn't mind rereading that one again. Mm-hmm. As far as movies, the first one that came to mind was Julia and Julia.
0: Oh, yeah.
1: Because um, I've always been interested in Julia Child. I thought she was very entertaining. And so that perspective of someone relating, even though she's never met this very famous person, but trying mm-hmm. to connect and better herself, I guess. Mm-hmm. It was an interesting movie. Yeah.
2: how about you? Uh, Yeah, so I just started reading um, Lauren Groff's new novel, historical fiction, called The Vaster Wilds. Mm -hmm. And I I heard a lot of really good buzz about it. Um, I like historical fiction, and it's about a a servant girl that escapes during the starving times uh, from the colonies and just flees into the woods. And I haven't gotten super far into it, but it's a survival story. I'm very... um, engaged in it already. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I think these are good times, I think, to get into stories and kind of take our minds off <laughs> a lot of things that are happening mm-hmm. in the world, just have a break from that. And it's it's very engaging. Her writing is, is beautiful. And regarding cooking, I also, I wrote down for a book that reminded me a little bit of this book, also Julie and Julia, My Year of Cooking yes. Dangerously, mm-hmm. which was a book before the film, which mm-hmm. both are really good. But I liked that both of these, both this book that we're going to talk about today and Julie and Julia are about going through a difficult time in your life and uh, using food to kind of reposition yourself, I guess. Mm-hmm. And because she, the Julie Powell, it's sort of her, her memoir of that time where she was in a dead-end secretarial job. And so she decides to reclaim her life by cooking um, every single recipe in Julia Child's 1961 classic, Mastering the Art of French Cooking. Mm. And uh, same, same kind of story with with this book right. of the author um, deciding that she wanted to create and bake a pie for every single state mm-hmm. in the oh, Union mm. after after going through a difficult period in her life. And then... Regarding films, my one of my all-time favorites is Babette's Feast. Oh, and boring. maybe everyone's already seen it, but mm-hmm. if you haven't, it is an Oscar-winning film. It is a layered tale of a French housekeeper with a mysterious past who brings quiet revolution in the form of one exquisite meal to a circle of starkly pious villagers in late 19th century Denmark. And having lived in France as a student, with a family and being introduced to a different mindset about food, I feel like than what we have in this country, mm-hmm. uh, which is more about savoring and pleasure and like slowness. Yeah, um, definitely. And I like the juxtaposition of the the stark northern European uh, landscape and mindset with this French woman that comes in and is like, "Let's let's just really like taste this and experience the pleasure together." Mm-hmm. Um, and food bringing people together
0: so just yeah it's a beautiful film mm. absolutely yes one of my faves nice. <laughs> well let's uh dive in with a little bit of information about 50 pies 50 states author uh, stacy mayan feng stacy was born in singapore she grew up and developed her love for baking and deeper love for america in hong kong with frequent travels to the states during her summer vacations, and her constantly listening to Dolly Parton and Bruce Springsteen. Mm -hmm. Gee, that's quite a flavor. (laughs) She eventually made the journey over to America for college at the Savannah College of Art and Design in Savannah, Georgia. 50 Pies, 50 States and her Side Pies for Side Pieces have been featured on Eater, A Cup of Joe, NPR's All Things Considered, Terry Baum, and the New York Times Cooking Instagram site, not once, but twice. She currently resides in Brooklyn, New York, where everything in her apartment has just a light dusting of flour on it. And here are some things Stacy loves about America in no particular order. Dolly Parton, John Prine, diners, the Grand Canyon, and a really good BLT. Jesse Sheehan, author of Snackable Bakes, says 50 Pies, 50 States is filled with deliciously unique pie recipes such as sweet tea, peach, and ruby red grapefruit, as well as more traditional ones like Mississippi mud pie. A love letter to every state, it is also the deeply personal story of Stacy's journey to find home, and we, her lucky pie trip buddies, can cozy up in the passenger seat and enjoy the ride. Shelf Awareness describes the book this way, perfect for pie lovers. American geography aficionados and immigrants alike. 50 Pies, 50 States is truly a love letter to America's food diversity, full of beautiful photographs, delicious recipes, and charming anecdotes. 50 Pies, 50 States makes a welcome addition to any baker's library. And now we'll we'll give a little bit of our initial impressions of the book and give it a rating out of five stars. And uh, again, I'll I'll take the lead for a moment. Um, This was, uh, first of all, a real departure for our podcast. We've never done a cookbook before, so uh, finding a way to uh, dive in and and then talk about it was kind of interesting. But I found the book utterly charming. The the whole premise, I think, uh, was a project of hers, as we've kind of hinted at, uh, the uh, project of coming up with a pie, her own... um, Pie for every fifty, every one of the fifty states in the United States, and to do that, she really had to dig in and uh, finding some some uh, interesting facts, or uh, you know, what is the the state food, or what is the state known for. So it was a real educational adventure for her. But she comes up with some really whimsical takes on uh, pie and where you can go with it, sweet or savory. Uh, she she adds a lot of really Practical Tips About Handling Different Kinds of crust, and uh, yeah, we'll talk a little bit more about that later, but I I really enjoyed this book. And yes, it is full of beautiful, beautiful photographs and some really uh, delectable pie. Uh, So I'd give it a 4.5 out of 5. We're going to talk a little bit about ways we thought the book might have been better formatted, and and I guess that would be my half-star reservation right there. But Denise, your thoughts? You know, I kind of went back and forth between four and four
1: and a half. Yeah. (laughs) For the first time, I think I can't quite settle on exactly because the part, like you said, some of the mechanics really stuck in my brain pretty strongly. Mm -hmm. But then you go over to the prose column and there's so many, you know, there's, like you said, the whimsy, the creativity, some states have a lot of things they're known for. So kind of... What for her does it distill down to, mm-hmm. uh, and some of that may be based on the connection to the person that she had, right. or a travel that put one ingredient maybe over another. Huh. So I really I enjoyed that, and and there are other cookbooks that I've looked at, you know, many many that there's their story, and then there's the recipes, mm-hmm. and those are wonderful too, because if you can connect to the food, connect to, you know, what you're reading in any any genre you're going to be more vested and most likely enjoy it more. But I think this took it a little bit further to connect with each chapter, essentially each recipe state to a person to an experience more directly. Mm-hmm. And so there, it made a, a complex um, kind of interesting emotional journey, cerebral journey through Each one, as you're looking through, whether or not you make it, whether or not you even read the whole recipe, Uh, maybe to huh? Would I want to visit that state? Or I didn't know that exactly. So there was a lot of a lot of parts, and I really enjoyed that that aspect. So,
0: Jana, how about you?
2: Yeah, I give it four stars. I didn't read, if I'm honest, like all the things about the friends related to each state because each each. state has one section on the history of that state, Mm -hmm. and then also talking about the foods related to that state and what's grown there and the culinary traditions of that state. And then that weaves into the discussion of how she chose those foods for the pie, because everything has to be rooted in the local foods and the local traditions. And so then she goes into the recipe. And then after that, she has a section on the, the folks that she knows from that state, um, or that have some kind of relationship to that state, mm-hmm. and I was a little bit—I wasn't as interested in that. I think it's sweet, but <laughs> I didn't like. <laughs> uh, you know, I w- I did enjoy the part about the history of the state because I haven't studied the history of each state in right. depth. Yeah. Although, I mean, it's it's like a very, um, it's very elementary, but for me, I'm not the best history student, so I. I enjoyed that, and i but i what I really like is the culinary history, yeah, I've always been interested in that and just hearing about the different immigrants to different areas of the country, what they brought with them, what mm-hmm. informed what they were going to bake. so I found that interesting i I did um think she is a helpful guide if you haven't baked a uh, pie before, she's very encouraging, I like her tone. And so I think this is a a good um a book for someone to get started but also interesting for someone that is more um advanced and adventurous baker because it it has
0: both in it so going on from this point I thought it might be helpful for our listeners to understand how, how did we get to uh, reviewing a cookbook mm-hmm. And, and what, what exactly was our approach? And what we ended up doing was sort of a, there's a, a cook the book kind of book club where people gather together specifically to talk about cookbooks. And the approach is that you all agree on a book and then each member tries a, a certain dish out of that book and you don't want to have duplicates. So you discuss ahead of time, well, I'm going to do this recipe. You do that one, so then you cook it, and uh, hopefully you bring it all together in one place uh, to share it when you meet next. And uh, ours ours was not really—well, we weren't able to all bring our pies in together on one day and just have a pie fest. But uh, basically what we did was a cook-the-book kind of thing. Each of us picked a recipe uh, from 50 Pies, 50 States. And uh, then cooked it and brought some slices in for the others to taste test. And uh, so this discussion today is kind of growing out of what we thought about the book as well as the pies we ate. Yeah. also
1: wanted to just mention that we had a staff member who had said, hey, you know, have you thought about a cookbook? Right. And I'm like, kind of no, because it seems like how – I mean, if it's just recipe and recipe and recipe (sighs) – like, what are you talking about? Yeah, what's the content? <laughs> but we said, hey, you know, we'll give it a whirl. So shout out to Steve for the suggestion. And mm-hmm. I love the idea now of the, um, the groups that you're talking about. Like, right. that would be kind of fun to join. Could be a little bit intimidating or overwhelming, but
0: also sounds pretty interesting. Mm-hmm. Just from our little snippet of experience right. with it definitely could be a real uh social event on your calendar every month or whenever uh because food <laughs> you know, absolutely you're food absolutely and uh, that can that can bring people closer together it can create community okay. the author talks about her connection to place via food. What states have you lived in, and do you agree with the author's pie creation for those states? Denise, do you want to start us off with that one sure um so I'm a native of Colorado.
1: I'm one of those unicorns.
0: <laughs> and um,
1: and I love living here. I think it's amazing. But we did take a few years, um, oh, over a decade ago. And we ended up in the Northwest, mm-hmm. uh, four years in Vancouver, Washington, and three years in rural Oregon, um, just inland from Coos Bay,
0: mm-hmm.
1: very small little town. And so I put Oregon, Washington, and California. I thought... The pear and marion pie with olive oil, ice cream, and hazelnut crumble was pretty qu- quintessential. Ah, yeah, um, Nailed it. Yeah, fruit and nuts. And then if you want to, I mean, you could throw in the Tillamook cheese. That's oh. never a bad idea, but but that's kind of a different recipe. That's Vermont. <laughs> so, yeah, yeah, I liked it. There's a lot of uh, you-pick places for peaches, berries, depending on the time of year. Mm-hmm. Um, And there's definitely hazelnuts and other things that tend to be readily available depending on the season. So I definitely agreed with that one. And then Washington was the Rainier Cherry and Apple Pie with Potato Chip Crumble. Uh, (laughs) And I wasn't entirely sure about the Potato Chip Crumble connection. Yeah. Um, But I did only live there for four years and I was not um, necessarily somewhere like Seattle or, or, urban in the way you think of like major metropolis. Mm-hmm.
2: So I might have missed a connection there. But I think well, I think I remember reading she said that she incorporated it because they do grow a lot of potatoes out there on the other oh, side of the mountains. Of course. That of course. is true. That and onions. And I'd forgotten yeah. being that, you know, the states like the Idaho Washington
1: border <laughs> yeah. doesn't delineate who can and can't grow potatoes. There you so. know. <laughs> um my brain went to Walla Walla Onions. Yeah. Um, of yeah. the savory. But oh, I, like, I agree. Yeah.
2: How would you put that would have been a really good onions? onion cheese pie?
1: Oof. Yes. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And if you've never had a Walla Walla, but mm-hmm. you've had a Vidalia, they're not too far apart. Mm-hmm. You want a super sweet. Yeah. And there mm-hmm. I just as a side note, there's a place in Oregon and Southern Washington called Burgerville. If mm-hmm. you get a chance to ever go, their thing <laughs> is they're only in a very small corridor of I-5. Um, mm-hmm. I want to say it's maybe some... Ch- can't remember just north of Vancouver down to, not quite Salem even. I think it's Aurora, Oregon, uh-huh. where you can um, you can get it's all uh, beef sourced from the area. And, you know, all everything is made within that area, wow. so everything is seasonal. Tillamook cheese on everything. Walla Walla onions in season. Oregon blackberry shakes. Um, <laughs> Oregon hazelnut. So. They really take those ingredients and try to only stick to that. They had a Focus is local. Yeah, yeah. salmon hazelnut salad in the winter. Oh, gosh. So, do um, so this. Those definitely, I thought fit. Um, for Colorado, the bison and Coors stew pie. Bison, yes. And Coors, yes, we do think of that. We have a lot of things going on here. So, mm-hmm. I don't know. I think you could have distilled it down a lot of ways. Yeah, um, I almost chose this one, except Coors
0: just isn't my thing. <laughs> We're also—I <laughs> was thinking—we've got so many microbreweries here that have outstanding, yes, uh, yeah, beers of all kinds. Yes, if you yeah. look
1: historically, yeah. yes, Coors, yes. and it was a very big deal because Coors made it through the depression by ha- you know manufacturing other things, yes, and then came back to it. Mm-hmm. But yeah, if I could have made it with a microbrew instead, I would have.
0: That might be a nice little variation on the recipe to
1: try. <laughs> yeah, I do want to make this, Yeah, but yeah. I want to be able to explore other sure beverage options
0: with there it. There you
2: go. So, yeah. yeah. <laughs> what about you, Jenna? So, I, I'm a California girl. Um, that's where I was born and um, where I lived until I was a teenager. Artichokes are huge. Um, I actually grew up going out to the coast where we would drive through artichoke fields and— there would be places where you could buy deep-fried artichoke hearts. Lucky. It was like I, – I don't find them very often, and they're mm-hmm. one of my favorite foods, actually. So, yeah, that artichoke pie with the savory almond crumble and the red wine reduction, I, I, would, I would eat that. Oh, yeah. <laughs> um, and uh, uh, we moved to Arizona um, as a teenager, so I was attracted to that uh, blushing prickly pear and apple pie because – uh, there are a lot of prickly pears there, and I've I've never actually tried one just because of the amount of work to to eat it, and it's Very always if someone hasn't had that in their family tradition, it seems a little bit scary. <laughs> mm-hmm.
0: Gotcha.
2: Mm-hmm. <laughs> so, but I think, you know, I think that's right on. Um, I also lived in Washington, and I I would try that um, that pie with the uh, fruit and the potato chip crumble because I like the savory and the sweet. Mm-hmm. Um, and okay, so I met my husband in New Mexico. I love chili. I love the green chilies from Hatch, New Mexico. Mm. I can't find the same level of delicious chili here in Colorado, mm. even though we're not very far away. It's just not All the right. same. The culture is not the same, and I miss New Mexican green chili. <laughs> so thank you for including that.
1: Amen to that. Me <laughs> too. Yes.
2: Uh, <laughs> And we all live in Colorado, so um we can all speak to the, the Colorado pie. I guess I I agree about the beer. Um yeah. I like the bison idea. Yeah.
0: Mm-hmm. Um yeah. It's a little bit different. Yeah. And and yeah. We do have bison herds out here. That's right. <laughs> we do. Uh well I'm a Michigander by birth, and so I chose that pie, which was um a cherry pie with a cornflake crust as a nod to uh, the cereal industry in uh, Michigan, Kellogg's, is, um, got its home base there. And uh, that was also attractive to me for another reason, which has to do with rolling out pie crust it, it, Rolled-up pie crust is my nemesis, so I thought <laughs> maybe a cornflake crust is more my speed, and it was, and it was delicious. But I've also lived in Oregon, so we've kind of crossed paths uh, there, several of us, and I thought that one was spot-on, too. Uh, Pennsylvania and New Jersey had some interesting uh, contributions here in her cookbook. She picked a, ch- a fly pie for Pennsylvania, which makes perfect sense to me. That's an old Pennsylvania-Dutch tradition, and uh, the one for New Jersey was very strange. I would not cook or eat that thing <laughs> <laughs> <It> was, <laughs> me too. <laughs> it's just it looked like a, a an idea for a sandwich thrown into a pie crust and it just yeah, not not very attractive to me. anyway. Live for three and a half years in Indiana, and uh, so I think the sugar cream is right on that has a connection, I believe with the Quakers or shakers. Uh, who settled there in the 1800s. And finally, yes, I agree 100% on the Colorado Bison and Coors. I would swap out some really nice brew from a local brewery uh, and give that a shot. But yeah, it does sound tasty. So yeah, I I think that um, for the most part, her ideas were were right on. I mean, she picked some aspect of the state and highlighted it. And uh, yeah, I found them pretty good. This Book of Pies based on our 50 states, was written by an immigrant. How can immigrants inform those of us who have lived here since birth about our own country, food, or culture? Denise, you had some thoughts about that? Um, yeah, actually, I had,
1: it made me think so much. I mean, <laughs> you, like I say, just for, from a, a book that you would think of as just recipes. Yes. Man, you know, I spent a lot of time with this book, and more than I thought I would. Mm. Um, in, a, in a great way so it made me really think about the just juxtaposition of traditional foods from a culture or a country and fusion foods because oh, in the yeah. last probably 10 15 years fusion's been big
2: mm.
1: and everything from like starting way back with like california pizza kitchen starting right. to put ingredients people hadn't really thought of on a pizza and then it's mm. like well, what is pizza you know, things like that. But so the idea of keeping things authentic and also making something new based on a wonderful thing that can come out of combining cultures, combining ingredients that aren't generally found in the same area, Um, or maybe you realize an ingredient isn't actually from your country. uh, You know, it's actually from a a completely different continent. mm -hmm. So that's, it's really fun because then you add the experiences in as well. And uh, I thought about observing foods like uh, like what foods do people who come here gravitate toward? Because they're going to bring their taste buds, their own palate sure. based on, I mean, especially if you're maybe thinking of like an island country mm-hmm. or something that may be a little bit more isolated. Mm-hmm. Somewhere like Japan where it's a lot of rice and fish and they're not necessarily doing as much um beef or things like that. Mm-hmm. They're using what they can get, what's readily available. So they're they're going to be used to a certain thing. Some people come from countries that are like it very spicy. Maybe it's a warmer climate, that kind of thing. Mm-hmm. So how do our foods, are, are, you know, are they going to appeal to them? Are they adventurous to want to try new things? What are they going to like or dislike? How that might their palate change? Mm-hmm. And... I just thought, yeah, because if you're used to certain textures, you're used to certain, you know, everything being fresh and crunchy, and then we're right. using a lot more, maybe frozen or, or more, I don't know, uh, softer yeah. textures. And then I also really, really wanted to, um, it made me also think of like, how do we approach that with other people, no matter how long they've been here, you know? That sort of wrinkled nose and ew. Well, yeah. they might have that. Okay. We don't have to be offended. Yeah. It's okay. They don't have to like it. They're not required to, and neither are we. But hey, but that can be conversation. Why? Right. Don't you? What would you change? What would you rather have? Mm-hmm. So it's really a, a beautiful opportunity to learn if you're open to that conversation. Right. Um, but it was so important to be respectful and curious. And keeping that kind of, you know, communication or observation open.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Uh, and it wasn't necessarily an immigrant thing for me, but one of my favorite, I guess, sort of cross-cultural experiences was uh, in high school, uh, a group from my school went to Four Corners, a reservation near, I believe it was Shiprock, New okay. Mexico. Yeah. Um, and we stayed on a reservation for a few days. And there was this 15-year-old girl, and we were all in high school, and she was going to teach us how to make fry bread. hmm We're like okay what's fry bread uh, if you don't know it's kind of similar to like a beignet or a sopapilla and so she's showing us how to make it and you have to kind of make this interesting like almost like a fist but your fingers are flat and then you take the ball and you push it back and forth between almost like you'd make pizza dough right. but your hands are clasped in a different way mm-hmm. and she's doing this like she's done it every day, every day of her life since she was three years old and then she's like here's your piece of dough do this and it was like we yeah, uh, it was like we all had three arms and no thumbs, you know, <laughs> but it was beautiful because we laughed and we talked about it, and we made food, and then we ate, mm-hmm. and I loved that, so it brought me back to that um neither of us are immigrants, mm-hmm. um but we still had something beautiful to share, mm. so those were just my um my take on it, and that the fact that we've been taking. Immigrant food, so to speak, and ingredients, and making stuff up for over a hundred years. Oh, easily. Like what really is truly American food?
2: Mm-hmm.
1: So,
0: yeah, yeah. There's a long discussion for sure. You good to have there?
2: Yeah, yeah, and the yeah, and the melding of the indigenous foods and mm-hmm. culture.
0: Absolutely well. right. Yeah. yeah,
2: and I think she. One of the things I noticed about her that I thought she did well was she was very embracing, mm-hmm. of American culture and food. Mm-hmm. And she wanted to celebrate it. It, yeah. it really does feel yeah. celebratory. Of I love America so much, and she she has such a just a friendly kind of girl next door tone. Yes, in the writing and yeah. talking about tying it on with her friends, and mm-hmm. you know, being in the back of the the pickup truck. And you're going to want to enjoy this with your. And you know, at the picnic (laughs) down by the river, you know, in the state. It's like very,
0: just very encouraging and very, you know, she wants to encourage people to share this experience. Mm -hmm. Yeah. 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 And
1: her first three recipes are from her background. So she has yeah. mm-hmm. she has Thailand, Indonesia, and Hong Kong and she has those pie recipes mm-hmm. um that aren't necessarily all f- a fusion. Uh so I thought that was beautiful. It's like here is where I am from, here's a piece of me, mm-hmm. and then here is us and what we can be.
0: Mm-hmm.
2: Yeah. It was very cool. Yeah. I think that she brought in some new tidbits for for me from from my own perspective, that there there are many things about our our country that I don't know. Like I said, um, don't know about the food history of, of all the states. But so I thought it was fascinating to learn new things about the food history uh, of the different areas. One of the things that I learned, which I thought was possibly related to some of my ancestors that I didn't realize uh, because some of my think my grandmother's side uh, were were miners. Mm-hmm. she mm-hmm. was writing about miners in uh, Montana mm-hmm. that would eat the the pasty um, so she said the pasty is this pastry um, that the in the 1800s it came from Cornwall England and you know probably other places around there right. but mm-hmm. um, that she was talking about she she made this pie uh, for Montana. this is the area around Butte she's talking about. Mm -hmm. And she said it's the half moon shaped and it would have a crimp, uh, which is the handle for eating it since you couldn't wash your hands down in the mine. And the crimp was discarded as a quote, offering to the ghosts of the dead, a kind gesture with a whisper of superstition. And she said that this act of leaving the crust as an offering to the dead reminds me of the Hungry Ghost Festival in Chinese culture. Hmm. On the 15th day of the seventh month in the lunar calendar, it is believed the ghosts and spirits come out from the lower realm to visit the living. The day before this, a large feast is held for the ghosts. People bring samples of food and place them on an offering table to please the ghosts and to ward off bad luck. The Hmm. offerings are also placed at empty place settings at tables to honor deceased family members, treating them as if they were still living. And we just celebrated as part of the library in the city here, the um, Day of the Dead, Dia de los Muertos, Mm -hmm. which is celebrated in Mexico and also by Mexican-Americans here in the U.S. And I felt like there was kind of a connection there as well with with the ofrendas, with leaving (laughs) the favorite foods of the deceased loved ones on these ofrendas or altars Mm -hmm. um, and sort of the idea of feeding your ancestors and feeding these, these spirits. I learned something new. I didn't realize that there were a connection to Northern European cultures with, you know, feeding the ghosts
0: as well. So. Mm -hmm. Very cool. Very cool. What about you, Barb? Well, uh, you know, what, what came to mind here, uh, is, um, a little bit of family history. My great grandparents on my mother's side immigrated here, uh, in the late 1800s. And, uh, Set up to farm in the Dakotas, mm. which you know I don't know if maybe it was just a particularly brutal winter that they experienced, but uh, that uh, they decided to move to Michigan because it was just <laughs> too darn cold in South Dakota, I guess, um, and uh, got connected with a, a Czech. That's that's my uh, mom's family's background. Czech uh, uh, settlers. Uh, in mid-Michigan, Lower Peninsula, near the city of Owasso. Through food, I guess I have a lot of connections with my ancestors. There was, for example, my great Aunt Marie, who was known for her pastries. And every time there was a family reunion, it's a typical thing in the summer, or a gathering around Christmas or Thanksgiving or any of the other big holidays, everybody looked forward to Aunt Marie's rugelach, or her kolachki, or Rorichkis and all those wonderful pastries that she had mastered, which were part of her heritage that she brought to the table. Mm
1: -hmm.
0: And recently, my my mom found some recipes that my grandmother had written out by hand Mm -hmm. and photocopied them for all us kids. And uh, so I have in my grandmother's handwriting some of Marie's favorite pastry recipes. And You know, that's a connection you have. uh, I guess as the descendant of an immigrant, Mm -hmm. that sometimes food is what speaks to you about your heritage, maybe stronger than anything else. Yeah, and uh, yeah, that's definitely a connection I have with Eastern Europe because of my ancestors. Um, And that's priceless. I mean Oh yeah. Wow. Especially the handwriting that direct oh, and even even I can hear my grandmother's voice in it because mm. she's writing it out. You know, there's not just a list of ingredients, but it says, you know, take out some chilled butter about the size of an egg and then incorp you know, mm-hmm. and, and it just sounds like grandma. Yeah. And uh yeah, that indeed is priceless. That is priceless. Wonderful. So that's part of my food heritage and you know, comfort foods that come to mind have some connection to that part of the world.
1: Absolutely. Yeah.
0: Wonderful. Our author, Stacy decides to, quote, bake herself out of my emotional hole, close quote, by baking every recipe in the 4 and 20 Blackbirds <laughs> Pie Book. Can you describe a time in your life when food helped to heal you emotionally or took on a larger significance in your life than just a meal?
1: Yeah, I have a, a, <laughs> a few. I can think of a few. Right I now. like... <laughs> Not to start like bumming everybody out Um, because this is not <laughs> meant to be – this is meant to be a happy occasion. Yeah. So I definitely – so my father's side of the family is from New Mexico by way of uh, Missouri uh, and then East Coast and then immigrating. And my mom's side is from Iowa, also via various immigrations westward mm-hmm. or expansion westward, but yeah. We're all from somewhere, and so. But I lost my father in 2010, and that mm-hmm. was really hard. And uh, one of many things was, well, first of all, my dad was a major introvert, mm-hmm. but every now and then he'd look you in the eye and he'd go, "Come on, let's go to lunch," and you're like, "Oh," because you know it's more than just we're going to a restaurant, mm-hmm. and you could end up anywhere i'm talking ethiopian I'm talking korean mm-hmm. um japanese mexican peruvian didn't matter you had no idea probably a little hole in the wall that might be like dimly lit you might be sit on the floor who knows like who knows it was not like we're going to four star five star restaurants right. and but you'd have an amazing experience and he loved doing that you know trying to Talk with the people and try stuff he couldn't pronounce. So I loved doing that, first of all. And um, so I missed that, but that's this kind of reminded me of that connection. But he also, he loved pumpkin pie. Like you mm. could, I mean, people can't, I can't, it's not Thanksgiving without pumpkin pie. This was like, we have to have it and it has to be a good one. And for years after he passed away, I couldn't make a pumpkin pie because that was my thing. I couldn't do it because he wasn't going to be there to eat it. And it took a long time, but finally it was kind of this cathartic, okay, this is the year I can do it. And I felt like it was like bringing him to the table with us. Yeah. You know, like we didn't have room to set an empty chair and that's a little bit much for our family, Mm -hmm. but bringing that and just knowing he would have been smiling. And it also got me on this green Chile kick because as a kid, we'd go visit grandma in New Mexico, and you go to the Rabbit Ears Cafe in Clayton, New Mexico, and they would uh-huh. say, in a heavy accent, you know, you'd say, "I would like this," and they would say, uh, "Red or green Chile," and then you choose your adventure, and then they say, "Hot, medium, or mild," and you choose your adventure from there. Mm-hmm. And it was all homemade. I was like, "I want to make green Chile like my own and make it amazing." Mm-hmm. And so I've been like still on that journey myself, right, with how it what it means to me. But it's been. Um, it's been healing, and it's been connecting and good, mm-hmm. but it took a while before I could start. Yeah. You know, so. Yeah, mm-hmm.
2: <laughs> <laughs> yeah I, I also feel like the food in my life has been connected to people and place, sort of similar to how she wrote this, and, like, mm-hmm. if you go through a difficult period in your life, um, you can reconnect to that person or to that place through food, and that it is it is a powerful force, I think, that we have and it takes time, right? Yes. But but we have that. And and I think about the dedication that people have made in their families in and in their communities to bake these recipes that matter and that take time. And I think about my grandmother who would bake a pie every single day for my grandpa. Because he was very big. Wow. He was very big. He was very tall and very active mm-hmm. and he ate a lot and he needed a lot of calories. Um and she would make a pie every day. And and this pie that I made took me four hours yeah. fully, maybe even more than that. And just think about the dedication and the love in doing that.
1: Um Yeah. <laughs> she could do that person.
2: Yeah. And yeah, so I I just love the the sense of um being able to access that, and the word for wine is terroir, which when the climate that creates the grape and the earth, and mm-hmm. how you can pinpoint that taste, mm-hmm. um, and mm-hmm. and you can you can visit that place through the the produce from that. Yeah,
1: absolutely. Um, mm-hmm.
2: So yeah. <laughs> Did he eat the whole pie every day? I have to know. <laughs> I think he might. Mu- okay. That's I'm, awesome. I need to, uh, we'll follow up on this. But okay. I heard that he would, eat it, he would eat it like before bed, like extra pie with cereal. Wow. It's <laughs> just a lot, right? That's a
0: cool though. That's so interesting. Yeah. I love that. Yeah. <laughs> so which recipe sounded the most appealing to you and which... Least appealing. What do you think, Denise? Uh, the, there were several. It was, because, I think because it was savory and there was
1: sweet, I yeah. tend to have a more savory tooth. Uh, or salty sweet like you, Jana. Mm-hmm. And so I loved the idea of the New Mexico green chile stew pie for obvious connections and reasons. And the California artichoke with savory almond crum- crumble and red wine reduction because I do have a passion for artichokes, I've grown them, and
2: wow.
1: yeah, it's pretty awesome. Uh, my least appealing was Texas. Um, I just that one darn near broke my brain. Um, <laughs> I was trying to reconcile grapefruit and candied jalapenos. Oh wow, that uh, one I,
2: I would I would actually I would eat that one really.
0: I, yeah, I mean, I'd love to know how you candy the jalapeno, but that's yeah, yeah, another discussion. I but.
2: like the spicy. I if, like the sweet and the spicy.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah, if your <laughs> ruby red grapefruit is sweet, I
1: could see that tart. But if there is no see the tart spicy, I that's just that's another, like a
2: margarita. It's like a spicy uh, margarita.
1: i just have a margarita. <laughs> <laughs> okay, <laughs> but but it did. I mean, I I could definitely see those two things being representative of Texas. Yeah. There were a few things here and I was like, um, I'm not sure we should be doing that in a crust. Yeah. But then I also thought about the fact that she went to art school and I was like, see now this is beautiful yeah. Oh, creativity. Yeah, this yes. is that kind of, let's push the envelope. Let's mm-hmm. see. Let's try. And I loved that. Like Nevada, she literally made like, divided it into like six smaller individual pies with the crust itself mm-hmm. and called it a wasn't smorgasbord. All you can
2: eat buffet pie. Yes. (laughs) That was on my hate list.
1: I was like, that is very cool. I'm not doing that. No. Because that looks like a three-day project. Yeah. It was for
2: that, but also it it looked to be, like, so disgusting to me. Yeah. Because all the sweet stuff is next to, like, the the shrimp and, like, uh, the mash. Everything is in there. It's like a Caesar salad part of the pie, steak and mashed potato part, shrimp scampi, snow crab, and then all these sweet compartments and... Yeah. I you That was so much. And,
1: and <laughs> literally much. anything that just had like an Oscar Mayer hot dog, not even like a sausage. I'm just like, if you know. Yes.
2: Yeah. The Hong Kong style macaroni <laughs> oh, soup pie. That's
0: the one. It yeah. has
2: canned cream of chicken soup, frozen peas, spam, and overcooked macaroni? Overcooked. It has yes. to be overcooked mm-hmm. because that's how they like it. So, yeah.
1: yes. And the, the state fair one with the like savory funnel cake and the hot oh, dogs yeah. and I the like, had, just, that like one the corn dog. No,
2: yeah. Just just no. Like, it's like an accident. <laughs> yeah. yeah. I no, feel it's like it's a heart attack waiting to happen. Right. Everything
1: is deep fried. <laughs> Although, I, I would love to still see this as like an art exhibit in a museum. Oh. Like, that would be an experience. Just looking at it and going, <laughs> because... I, I need to think about this for a while. Yeah. Except, yeah, the ones that just.
0: Broke my brain.
1: <laughs> yeah. yeah. Wow. But I honestly oh though I, I am planning to make to try the green chili stew and the bison coor, uh, bison yeah. not yeah. coors not, and the artichoke.
2: And Those I, I will wrote happen. down one like that I want to try, but I didn't get to because I have actually in my freezer right now um antelope and elk <gasps> that um, Papa yeah. and um, my you husband hunted. Mm-hmm. Oh. And so yeah, she has a Wyoming elk chili pie yeah. with huckleberry yeah. sauce. And it has coffee, tahini, and maple syrup. So oh. I thought that wow. sounded really interesting and I might want to try it with the elk in my freezer. No, Especially because elk is
1: very quintessential like this part of the country. Yeah. And tahini is really, really, really that not so out yeah. there. So yeah. Uh, yeah. fusion again.
2: Mm-hmm. Yeah, but she I think she's got a real eye for yeah. creating things. Mm-hmm. Uh-huh. Mm-hmm. Um so, yeah,
0: I, I will try it and cool. we we'll part back. <laughs> yes, please. <laughs> yeah, please do. What about you, Barb? Oh, well, I'm with you on that least favorite, uh, that that Hong Kong style macaroni <laughs> soup pie just <laughs> sent me way back. <laughs> uh, yeah, I, I think it's it might be kind of a good example, however, what we were talking about earlier with fusion, with uh, two cultures kind of colliding in a pie. But this this apparently is in Hong Kong uh, you know, macaroni soup is kind of a thing that, and it grew out of you know, people living in Hong Kong taking uh, ingredients from mm-hmm. the West yes. and coming up with a whole different idea, a whole different take. And I cannot imagine liking overcooked macaroni but maybe... This texture she's talking about—that's so comforting. Maybe. Well, I won't know unless I try. Yeah, <laughs> but I'm not going to try very soon. <laughs> wow. Yeah. Um, and the uh, the one that sounded appealing, and I think we, we hit on this before the the uh, Vermont yeah. apple pie mm-hmm. with Cabot cheddar.
1: Mm-hmm. Yes, I've always
0: heard that apple pie and cheddar go so nicely Me together, too. and I've never tried it. And uh, so this would be fun to incorporate the cheese into the crust and and see. How that that sweet and savory come together. And if you don't quite get that far, if mm-hmm. the crust isn't working, just
1: make your pie and mm-hmm. do the top crust, and just just lightly melt a little piece of cheese over top oh, of it. My. That's that works too. Heavenly, huh? Yes, <laughs> I'll have to try <laughs> for sure. You know, I thought it kind of made me think of like, wouldn't it be interesting to have a group of people? Like, okay, we're going to make a pie. Everyone bring an ingredient to contribute. Like, Mm -hmm. you'd probably want to designate savory or sweet. Ah, Um, To start. Yeah. yeah, But, like, bring something that, like, is your favorite or represents you somehow Mm -hmm. and just bring those and then figure out how you would make a pie from that. So it's almost Mm -hmm. like everyone's got their – a piece of themselves in that Mm -hmm. and then share it. Mm -hmm. So, you know, kind of going back to what you're talking about with the the food club type Mm -hmm. idea. Mm But like, I don't know what I'd bring, but it'd be super cool to see
0: what other people would bring to contribute. Right. And And how it all comes together. Yeah. (laughs) Well, as part of this project, we all chose one pie to bake. Which one did you choose and why and how did it come up? And I'll I'll start the ball rolling. I I hail from Michigan and I thought her, uh, as I mentioned before, the cornflake crust was a real nice out for me because... uh, Rolled pie crust and I do not get along. I've just never figured it out. And so, uh, but she combines, it's interesting, she combines both, well, in the recipe she, uh, she suggested using frozen cherries, so it's available year-round, but a, a, a fresh cherry and then also dried cherries are mixed in to the filling, which is a little bit different take that I've done before. And then uh, after you've assembled all that, you have the uh, cornflake crust, coming together and you blind bake that and she explains what that means you're basically baking it before you assemble the pie and bake that and that was pretty important step because I can imagine how soggy the crust would have been if I hadn't I had to do that too for my blind bake the crust (laughs) ahead of time yeah it was already still very absorbent and you know the bottom crust kind of took on a nice pink color from the cherries but it Mm -hmm. still stayed solid And uh, so that was an interesting experience. And also putting a crumble top on top made out of cornflakes and other things. Uh, It was a nice not having to put a top on the pie. really (laughs) saved my little (laughs) tissues. So I enjoyed that pie. It got rave reviews from the folks at home, too. Deanna, how about yours? Yeah, your
2: pie was delicious. Thank Thank you. you. (laughs) Uh, Yeah, so I chose the Oregon uh, marionberry pie with olive oil ice cream and the salty hazelnut crumble. I chose it because I've never tried olive oil ice cream, and I was intrigued by that. Mm -hmm. And I love berries and pears. Something she did that was different was that I had to grate the pear. Um, And so she uses it like a filling, and that macerates with the berries Mm -hmm. in the the fruit juice. I think maybe it was lemon juice in there and sugar Mm -hmm. for 30 minutes. Um, It goes in there like Barb, I had to, to pre-bake the crust. And every time along the way, I had to make two crusts because it has a, it's got a lattice on the top. Yeah. And every time you have to do the crust and you got to chill it. I did, um, the butter crust with the, um, she uses cold water and the apple cider vinegar, which I hadn't tried yeah. in the crust before. Yeah. I really yeah. recommend her butter crust. She said, Oh, I, I recommend doing it with, a." pastry cutter or your mm. fingers, and I used the pastry cutter because I was following it yeah. down to the T. Yeah. And then later in the notes, she's like, oh, you can use the Cuisinart if you want to. Oh, I'm like, free. thanks for telling me now after I spent, <laughs> you know, this extra time. And so I had to learn how to do the lattice weave, and I she has good instructions, and it mm-hmm. actually made sense to me, but I was following her instructions in the book because I had never done the lattice weave.
0: Mm-hmm.
2: And the lattice weave, you know, after you roll out the second uh, crust, it has to chill, and then you have to. And she was like, "I use a, a ruler to make lines." And I'm like, "No, I'm not doing that. I just cut out my <laughs> things." You know, you get to a point where uh, you're like, and then you know, she yeah. wants you to make this fancy egg wash, mm-hmm. where I had to get the blender out oh, to boy. blender, you know, the the eggs and the water because it yes. had to be pulverized or I don't know whatever to this certain texture. So this whole pie was just extremely time consuming, but it was delicious. And I did not find the ice cream that she was talking about because I don't live in Portland. It's made by Salt and Straw uh, in Portland. Um, but I decided to just get vanilla and then I sprinkled or I drizzled my own olive oil on it. And it was really good. And my husband made fun of me for putting fat, more fat on my fat. but. <laughs> Uh, At uh, that point, does it really matter? I know. Like,
0: it's all good. Yeah. I, I went to the website <laughs> of
2: the uh, ice creamery, and they said that the when you have this, it's made with arbequina olive oil, and that is produced up there, I think. Mm. It has a grassiness to it, oh. so it, it's offsetting. It's just like a really good way to have those flavors together, the grassiness and then the creaminess. Yeah. Um, mm. And I have to say, I, I really liked it, and it had a salty hazelnut crumble, so it added the saltiness with the sweet, and it was delicious.
0: <laughs> I agree. And the <laughs> lettuce was beautiful.
2: <laughs> it was. And
1: And would you both make that again? <laughs> because those were fantastic. Yeah, Absolutely fantastic. I do have a question for Jana, though. How and where did you actually get Marionberries? Because most oh, people don't even know question. what a Marionberry is. they
2: been to Oregon,
1: unless yeah. you've lived there. So did you ha- buy it frozen? So,
2: so no. So I, I didn't find a Marionberry. I just got a blackberry. Okay. <laughs> yes, mm-hmm. and I actually bought, I actually bought them frozen. So I don't know where exactly mm-hmm. they came from, mm-hmm. um, but the pears were, were fresh. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. Yeah.
1: Uh, yeah, And that's <laughs> totally fair because it is uh, it is not only not marionberry season, but those right. are not very common. Not easy to find. They are amazing if you ever get the chance right. to try a marionberry. It's somewhat of uh, a cross between like a blackberry and a raspberry. Mm-hmm. Yes. They're okay. very large and they're just amazing. So, mm-hmm. yeah, I just had to know. Because <laughs> there were several recipes in here that I skipped because I'm like, what is a mayhaw? Yeah, where
0: you know, are you going to get that? Yeah. Where am
1: I going to get Buckeyes? Mm-hmm. You know, so... I got the one thing I knew I could definitely get from Amazon. (laughs) (laughs) Um, but yeah, and I I kinda I knew that Jana was doing a fruit pie and I'm not sure if I remembered that Barb was. So I was like, Well, I'll go a different direction Mm -hmm. and Knowing my skills, I'm like, we're going to skip like super expensive ingredients. I'm not buying bison and I'm probably not going to do artichokes and stuff just because what if I mess up? Yes. <laughs> and I did. I'm <laughs> yeah. So I chose Rhode Island, um, not. Having anything to do with the state necessarily. Uh Um, I've always been intrigued by it just because it's so little. Yes. And there it is. And I want to go there someday (laughs) and like just drive from one end to the other in like, I don't know. 15 minutes. Yeah. (laughs) Versus the, you know, like seven, eight hours it takes to get across our state, depending on which direction. Maybe more like nine if you cross the mountains. Yes. But that was a coffee milk pie. And I was like, what's a coffee milk pie? Mm -hmm. And if you want to think like mocha, that's pretty close. Right. Because it's a chocolate crust. Uh, so you think regular pie crust, but it's chocolate. Mm-hmm. And then it has uh, what amounts to like a coffee-flavored custard. Yes. And then a whipped cream topping with dark chocolate shavings. Mm-hmm. And I'm thankful that I, I I read over and over enough. Uh, when she says read the recipe several times, she's not kidding. Right. <laughs> and so the crust was one day. Yes, and and then I made two because I thought, ah, oh, this sounds great. I'll make two and I'll take them to work. Yeah, completely messed that up oh, no. because <laughs> I've never blind baked before, or or I've been so long that I don't remember, mm-hmm. and I blocked it out. So yeah, I did not have enough weight, so it just all slid in the middle. Oh and gosh, oh how because, frustrating! Yeah, and oh. the cocoa powder I had was uh, actually a dark cacao, mm-hmm. and and that's a different sweetness than cocoa. So I did cheat a little and tripled the sugar the second time. Mm. So I have this, like, just sort of um, slid-in mess that's actually still on my counter. I think would be, like, a great sort of dark chocolate cracker. There you go. I don't know. <laughs> I can't feed it to the dogs. No. Uh, <laughs> I feed it to uh, <laughs> so, but I feel bad. I like, yes. oh. So the second time, Jana let pie weights. <gasps> oh. So between that and then I also got real paranoid and put an entire bag of rice, like another layer of foil, and then that because – you're going to stay in place. <laughs> <laughs> ah! And it worked. <laughs> oh, good. But then you have to do the egg, the egg white yes. seal.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: And then around the edge, you do the egg wash.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: And you have to remember to dock it. I did forget the docking the second because there's a lot of moving parts. So I pulled it out, and there's this, like, <gasps> bubble in the middle, like <laughs> Sopapia bubble. And I was like, what do I do? The beast is alive. And so I yeah, like, no, poked no. it with a fork and tried to push it down. <sighs> and, yeah, and I was like, anyone walked in the kitchen. I'm just like, ouch. Yes. Go. But once I got past the crust, which actually fully accomplished because I could, I did that. Making the middle, uh, the filling was, was great. Just not letting it go too long when the corn starts, starts to thicken. Yes. So I feel like it went just a touch. And then it, I, it said, uh, whip the cream and sugar. Mm-hmm. And then I forgot about the soft peaks. So we went.
0: Almost to stiff peaks. Oh, I'm like, no, no. This is timing. This is so much timing.
1: Yeah. yeah. So it was it was a good adventure. Really, for someone who has some experience, it was good. I don't know that it's a book for a beginner. Uh, interesting. I really don't unless you pick a very simple, straightforward. And maybe have someone to ask questions to because mm-hmm. uh, there were a lot that I was just like, yeah, that is way beyond my skill set. As it was, I had to look in three different places in here, right. the recipe itself, then the one for the crust, mm-hmm. uh, and then there's a little addendum on how to make it the chocolate crust, and then the blind baking, and then also adding the the egg white seal and the mm-hmm. egg wash. Mm-hmm. So it was a lot of flipping back and forth. Uh, it might have been better for me to
0: have like like copied those and had them sitting out. Right, I um, I did end up finally putting this this recipe on several three by fives and laying it out. Oh, that's smart. While cooking, and then all I had to do was flip a card instead of having to flip a whole section in the book and find, you know, at or like I was doing, trying to flip on my phone, which was really awkward since I was using the ebook version to to read this and. Yeah, that, yeah. You know, if, if, if I had one major gripe about the book, that was it. That the, mm-hmm. you, you had to keep flipping to different sections to get through the entire project. And yeah. yeah. I don't know how you'd fix that except, like you said, copy it out by hand for yourself. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I wondered that.
1: about that too. Like, yeah. I, I thought the alphabetical had a lot of logic to it and the flow and the story was mm-hmm. good. I almost wondered about either categorizing them by like the different kind of crust because you don't want the mm-hmm. same crust recipe over and over and over right or um like the little caveats like for my just say in there, do this crust, but make
0: this change for chocolate, yeah, just that little blur. A little snippet would uh, have saved you a lot of flipping,
1: yeah, so for that, I mean th- some of them were quite complex, and also some of them just like certain ingredients are seasonal, mm-hmm. so I kind of. Uh, went with that. But it made me want to try more things. And I thought Uh, maybe if I could like be in the kitchen with someone who knew this better (laughs) and could show you the ropes.
0: Yeah. Yeah. That that makes
1: sense to me. But again, it would go back to conversation and it would go back to
0: experience and Mm -hmm. sharing what you know. Absolutely. Yeah. 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 I'd like to close with a quote from the author's website. She's quoting Michael Pallon, who's written a lot about food and community. And he says, for is there any practice less selfish, any labor less alienating, any time less wasted than preparing something delicious and nourishing for the people you love? Thank you, Jan and Denise, for a great discussion and some great tasting slices of 50 Pies, 50 States by Stacey May Yanfeng. For next month's episode, we've chosen Saving Time, Discovering a Life Beyond the Clock by Jenny O'Dell. In her first book, How to Do Nothing, Jenny O'Dell wrote about the importance of disconnecting from the attention economy to spend time in quiet contemplation. But what if you don't have time to spend? In order to answer this seemingly simple question, O'Dell took a deep dive into the fundamental structure of our society and found that the clock we live by was built for profit, not people. This is why our lives, even in leisure, have come to seem like a series of moments to be bought, sold, and processed ever more efficiently. Odell shows us how our painful relationship to time is inextricably connected, not only to persisting social inequities, but to the climate crisis, existential dread, and a lethal fatalism. Saving Time is available in print from the Longmont Library and in ebook and e-audiobook formats from the Front Range Downloadable Library. So grab a copy in your favorite format, read or listen, and then join our conversation. We'd love to hear from you. Please see our program notes for info on how to share your comments and questions with us. And thanks for listening to Book Chatter, the book club for busy people. Happy eating!